parts of the Bible, the book of Philippians, and we're going to talk about what makes for real happiness. Now, you just saw a bunch of different uh, perspectives on happiness. Not all of them actually agreed with each other. Right? You probably have noticed that. And uh, there's lots of ideas about happiness uh, in our world and in our culture and, and swirling around us. And uh, well, we're going to look to God's Word today and, and discover some things that uh, talk about a deeper place to find happiness. But before that, I want to just uh, quickly say I, I did send an email out last night just sort of late in the evening, uh, inviting people to send me some happy pictures, and, uh, and several of you did, and so I've got five happy pictures I want to share with you this morning, and so here's the first one, uh, yeah, this is Laura Taylor, she's, she's in Montana going to Bible colleges, so Wilderness College, Bible College, or whatever it's called, and she's just about to go on a big adventure hike, and adventures, they sort of make us happy, don't they, and you can see how happy she, she and her friend are in this picture. Okay, let's see the next one. This is the Falk family. We just talked about their new baby here who's not in the picture, but this is the, uh, this is the Falk family. Even Grover got into the picture, we see. And uh, they seem pretty happy to be together. And yeah, families, they can make us happy. They can. Okay, let's go see the next one. All right, now... How many of you know that pie can make you happy? <laughs> Isn't this a great picture? This, I got this from Merv Hartley, his granddaughter, in this picture. And a little cross on the pie and pretty exciting. So, yeah, food, food. That's sometimes a place where we go to make ourselves happy. Let's go to the next one. Birthdays, birthdays. <laughs> birthdays can make you happy, can't they? And uh, nothing better than being celebrated for your special day and... Uh, it looks like someone's having a laugh at someone else's expense. But <laughs> birthdays can make you happy. And next one. I was going to entitle this one, Having a gorgeous woman in a fur coat on each arm makes you happy. <laughs> yes. So people in our life, relationships can make us happy. All right, thanks to everyone who sent in great pictures. Maybe this week you want to send in a picture of a really happy picture that we can uh, showcase next. Whoa, maybe not. Maybe don't do that. All right, we're good? Okay. So today, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And uh, while we do that, we're going we're gonna to watch another video here. And, um, but I'll give you, give you a chance to get ahead of the game here. But, oh, can we just pause it for a second there? Can we pause it for a second? Let me just preface this video. Um, I, this is, uh, this, what you're going to see is, is um, some kids who had to flee for their lives from Iraq. And uh, you, you think, well, that's not what you should be showing on a happy Sunday. Uh, actually, I think it's exactly what we show on a happy Sunday. Um, I want to tell you one quick thing, though. You'll, they're going to be speaking in Arabic, so it's, you'll see the subtitles. You'll be able to read it yourself. One thing you might, uh, I don't want you to stumble on this one, so just to give you a clear, these are, these are Christian kids. They say the name of Allah quite frequently, but that in Arabic is just the name for God. So if you're confused, if you say, oh, are they Muslims? Are they Christians? No, they're Christian kids. But if, you, if your mother tongue was Arabic, you would say God if you're a Christian. You would say Allah if you're a Christian or if you're a Muslim. And if you're a Christian, you mean the God of the Bible. And if you're a Muslim, you mean the God uh, described in the Koran. Okay? So just throw that out there so you don't get confused and think, why are they talking about Allah so much? Well, they're talking about God. So anyhow, go ahead. النهارده يا ولاد احنا هنيجي نزور مجموعه ثانيه من الاطفال في مكان اسمه عنكاوه مول تعالوا ندخل جوه ونشوف الاولاد النهارده عايشين ازاي ازيك يا فلورين مليحه وازيك يا مريوم زينه انت كويسه يس طيب انتوا لما بتفتكروا ايام كراكوش والوقت بتاع بيتكم ايه اكتر حاجه بتزعلوا ان هي مش موجوده هنا دلوقتي انا نريد مدرستنا وكنيستنا 
يسوع معانا اي مكان نروح يسوع معانا هو يعني حتى هنا في المخيم يسوع معاكي؟ نعم يسوع فين؟ قلبنا طب واليسوع يبقى عايش في قلبه مش بيبقى بيضحك؟ ايه عشان كده انتوا تضحكوا صح؟ ازيك يا مريم؟ زينة انت كيفك؟ انا زي الفل، انت بتتفرجي عليه شيك فعلا؟ ايوه طب وايه رأيك؟ بتحبي البرنامج؟ ايوه بتحبي ست سيفن كيدز؟ ايه ايه اكتر حاجه انت حاسه ان هي كنت بتحبيها في كراكوش مش موجوده هنا دلوقتي في المخيم كان عندنا بيت وكنا متونسين بس يعني هنا ما متونسين بس الحمد لله يعني الله سترنا قصدك ايه يعني ايه الله سترنا يعني الله حب حبنا و... وما قبل يعني يقتلونا داعش انت حاسه بايه ناحيه الناس اللي ممكن تبقى خرجتك من البيت وتعبتك ما راح اسويهم ولا شيء بس يعني اقول لله يسامحهم وانت تقدري تسامحيهم كمان ايوه كنت بتحبي المدرسه في كراكوش صح ايوه وكنت اولى دايما كان عندك اصحاب كمان في المدرسه ايوه مريم انت عارفه ان انت بطله انا احب اكون بطله واحب ايضا اكون بالمدرسه لان اللي بالمدرسه يحبون المدرسه هم اللي كانوا يطلعون دائما اوائل انت علمتيني حاجات كتير قوي شكرا و... وانت حتى علمتني علمتك ايه انا و... علمتني يعني ما علمتني يعني حس... حسيت بمشاعري حسيت بمشاعري انا كان عندي مشاعر وأريد يعني يعرفون الناس إيش هي مشاعر هذول الأطفال اللي هنا All right, so children in a, in a camp on the run from ISIS, any observations? <laughs> They're happy. Oh, good. the low-hanging fruit. Good job, though. Different color than you thought they'd be. Oh, that's good. Good to know. They forgave. You know, I didn't show you the really long, uh, there's a much longer video. It would have been about seven minutes long. Um, in that video, you see how forgiveness just shows up again and again. Like she talks about her friend, Sandra, who she hasn't seen since they had to leave their homes. Her school friend, how she, which she loves very much, but in their playing together, how they would hurt each other's feelings and then they had to practice forgiveness. And so here are children that are practicing forgiveness. And then when it comes time to forgive ISIS, they're actually able to do it because they've been practicing already at, at a very basic level in their lives. That forgiveness runs very deep in the Christians in the Middle East. Um, and so they're uniquely uh, prepared for some of the things that they have to forgive. Any other observations? The depth of her faith in Christ was incredible. Yeah, just very simple faith, but powerful faith. Yeah. Sorry? How confident they were. Yeah. Yeah. Very articulate. In the longer version of the video, and maybe we'll put this on our church's Facebook page for you to check out afterwards, there's an interesting part. Now, the interviewer, he's actually from England, and it's Sat7 is a British-made um, show in Arabic 
for kids in the Middle East. And it teaches them scripture verses and it teaches them scriptural principles. But anyhow, he's, he's one of their main uh, interviewers. And he's come down to interview these, these families that have been displaced by ISIS. And there's one part that, again, if I'd shown you the much longer video, you would have seen it. But and there's one part where she it talks about her home. Of course, she said, I used to have a home where we were entertained. Now I don't have a home anymore. And then they live in little UN erected shelters in, uh, in a city that they're not from. And uh, so then the, the um, interviewer actually says to her, he says, near the end, he's, you know, they're sort of saying nice things to each other at the end, and he says, you know, and maybe you'll go back to a house that's even nicer than the one you left. And she's smiling up to that point, and you can tell she stops, she checks herself. It's just sort of like in her brain, she's like, wait a second, that doesn't compute. And then she says, Whatever God wills. And I found it fascinating, that part of the video. And again, you can check it on Facebook later. But that part of the video was fascinating to me because it was like, here we are as Western Christians coming into this environment and saying, hey, let me comfort you with the thought of a better house. And yet in response, I find that the one who has the richness of something to actually offer it in the area of comfort is actually the little girl. And she stops and she goes, no, that might not be a reality, but she has comfort from a different source. This, the, what we're going to read today is, I think there's some similarities. The, the one who writes the letter, the Apostle Paul, is not in the place of comfort. He's in the place of displacement. He's in the place of discomfort. He's... Uh, but he is, out of that place, writing to comfort people who are in better conditions. Because there's something when all the exterior strappings of things that we believe will make us happy are stripped away, that we find if there's anything sort of solid underneath, if there's anything really that can make us deeply happy. And I think we see that in the video, but I think we'll see it here in this scripture too, that when all the things that we turn to normally, to maybe that'll cheer me up, that will make me happy, that will give me a, a short-term thrill or a buzz or something that will lift my spirits. When all those things are stripped away, it's possible to have something there so solid that it cannot be removed. And we're going to read about that today in Philippians. We're going to start in verse 3. It says, I thank my God... Paul, again, he's, he's writing, I'll, I'll read a little more and then I'll, I'll explain the context. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What is joy? Joy is a deeply centered sense. We might call it happiness, but happiness almost is superficial by what we but when we talk about joy, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So every time Paul prays for the people who are in the church in the town of Philippi, that's, where, that's why it's called Philippians, it's written to the people in Philippi. Every time he prays for them, he says he always prays with joy. Why? Well, the first thing we see is because of your partners, their partnership in the gospel. In other words, they were sort of on the same team, doing the same work, spreading the gospel. And what's the gospel? Let's, let's get some of these things defined. Um, the gospel's been defined many different ways uh, by different ones, but uh, one of the definitions we used this fall when we were going through uh, a series um, on the gospel was that the gospel is the good news that God himself has come to rescue people and renew all creation through the work of Jesus. So God is on a mission in the world today to rescue people, to reconcile them to himself, to, for them to come into right relationship with God. And not just that, but to renew all creation through the work of Jesus. So this good news about God, this gospel, is something that they share in common. Paul and the people who in Philippi, they, they, many of them would have heard the first time this good news about Jesus and about the access that they now could have with God through Paul. So he's saying, oh, I'm thankful. I pray with joy because of our partnership. But you know what? I don't want you to miss 
the rest of the sentence because I think it's absolutely crucial to understand. I don't think Paul is just excited that they're on the same team. I mean, that's pretty exciting to be on the same team in whatever you're doing, but I don't think it's just that they're on the same team. But listen to this in verse, uh, I think it's verse 6. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul prayed with joy because they were partners in the gospel, but he prayed with joy because he had confidence in God to complete the work that God had started. Just like this girl had confidence and faith in God, Paul says, you know what? I pray with joy because of my confidence in God. You ever go to prayer and you're just full of knots of fear and anxiety and worry? Not necessarily praying with joy, but it's just all tension? No, I've experienced that lots. And I think it's not like the Apostle Paul probably hadn't experienced that either. But he said... The confidence that he gained from God's ability to complete what he started enabled him to pray with joy. You know, it's not always easy to trust. I mean, as human beings, we just struggle to trust in so many different ways. In fact, almost in every relationship we have, we have sort of a push and pull of trust. It's like, I'll trust you with this, but not with this. And that's almost in every single relationship, whether it's a business relationship or it's a a family relationship. I I sat with friends of mine, this is a few years back, and they were just like us, sort of young couple with kids. And and, um, they were telling us about how another one of their family members, I'm not sure if it was a brother or sister or maybe a cousin or something, had uh, come to the decision that if, it was a single mom, that if she passed away, that her kids would go to this couple. And I mean, if you've been there, if you've already made that decision, or even if you're a young couple here today and you haven't made that decision yet, you know how big that decision is. It's massive. What, you know, your most precious thing here on earth, your kids, who could I trust them to? You know, that's massive. It's a huge decision. So, so on one hand, it was this great thing to sort of say, wow, she really trusts you so much that she would decide that if she's out of the picture, that you would be the right people to care for those kids, to raise those kids, to nurture those kids, you know, to love them and to provide for them, protect them, to educate them, to train them, all these different ways. Wow, what a huge vote of confidence. And so we were sort of, on one hand, we were celebrating that with them, but then the, the husband, he said, but there's one stipulation in her will, and I said, what's the one stipulation? He says that we have to get a new minivan. And I said, what? And he says, yeah, it says in the will that if, unless we get a new mini, minivan, we can't have the kids. And I said, I, like I was shaking my head, and I, I thought, what is that all about? And then it sort of dawned on me, it, that's all of us. That's all of us. Can you imagine her going to the lawyer and she's thinking, oh, have I chose the right people? Yes. Oh, I've chose the right people. Oh, they're such a good couple. Oh, yeah, they do a good job. I mean, I hope this doesn't happen, but it's good to provide for my kids in this way. And I think I've chosen just the right people. But they have such terrible choice of vehicles. <laughs> oh, that old thing they drive? Oh, how can I control that? So much so that here's a perfectly formed, simple will that gives the kids over, but there's a one stipulation, you got to get a new minivan. (laughs) Because that's how we are. We want to control things in our lives, and we don't fully trust 100%. We're almost there, and then we hold back. We hold back in relationship with people, and we hold back with God as well. As we get really close, and then there's that area where we say, no, no, no. Paul, throughout this whole book, you'll see how he expresses his faith in God again and again and again, that God has proved himself faithful and he can trust him and that he's not, uh, because of that, he's entered into a sort of a radical new understanding of how to live the Christian life. Let me give you a definition for faith. Faith is the confidence or trust that we put in a person who's given us cause to think that they are reliable and able and willing to help us in our need. 
Let me say it again. Faith is the confidence or trust that we put in a person who has given us cause to think that they're reliable and able and willing to help us in our need. Paul is saying, I pray with you with joy, not with fear, because of the confidence I have in God. Now, why does he need to comfort these people in the first place? Let's skip down to verse 12, and we'll start getting the rest of the story. Verse 12 says, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So there's two things. That I'll, I'll, I'll give you the first one. Two things that were causing the Philippians to be a little bit anxious and up in knots and, and, and not quite confident in, in following God maybe like they normally would. And the first one was that their great hero, this father of the faith, this guy that they really trusted in, Paul, has been captured and imprisoned. The government authorities have got him under lock and key and he's in chains. And so here they are, free, and yet there is Paul, their leader, the guy, for many of them, who would have led them to faith in Christ in the first place. It looks like he's, he's locked up, and maybe now the partnership that they had, the, the working together to share the truth about this good news, about how God is renewing all things and God is, 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 causing, is, is drawing people to himself so they can be reconciled and have right relationship. Now maybe all that's in jeopardy because the guy who is the strongest leader that they ever had has been captured and locked up. And so Paul writes to them first and he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. It hasn't actually held back what God's doing in the world. God's work hasn't been hindered by this. It's been, a, it's been a fast forward. It's been a hurry up. It's been a speed up. In fact, I have had the opportunity to witness to almost every Roman guard who comes through on his shift. Most of us don't dream about establishing that really crucial prison ministry that we've always wanted to do. Maybe some of you do, actually. But you probably imagine yourself being on the outside of the bars and being able to go home every day. But suddenly, Paul has access to people he'd never had access to before. And he said, this is great. This is, I want you to know what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. The word has spread. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters who are outside of prison have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So the gospel is advancing even more inside the prison and even more outside the prison. Chains are not all that they're cracked up to be. They can't stop. The gospel, they can't stop this message that God, they can't stop God's work. So maybe here's the first be happy for you here today. Be happy because opposition can't stop God. We have that as a slide there. Opposition cannot stop God. So be happy. Again, here's the prisoner comforting the free and letting them know the good news about their God. The next section tells us about the other problem they were really concerned about. Well, there's actually three problems, but we'll get to the second one. It says, it's true that some preach, this is verse 15, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, and the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Let's just pause for a second. So here's the scenario. Paul is imprisoned, and so now there's different people who are out there trying to sort of fill the role that he had. And he was, a, you know, one of the main guys proclaiming to people who Jesus was. And so he's trying to fill, the, other people are trying to fill this role, but for very different reasons. 
Some people are just purely saying, wow, we got to do this job. We're partners with Paul in doing this. And so we got to keep working for God and keep telling people about Jesus. And so they keep doing it out of good motives. And then there's some people doing it out of absolutely stinky motives. They're saying, man, I wish I was as popular as Paul. They're envious of him. But now he's out of the picture, right? Maybe I can be like him. Maybe I can, I can take that, that uh, important role away if I sort of step up in this season. And, 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 and it's out of rivalry and selfish ambition that they want to make a name for themselves. And maybe they want to cause trouble for Paul. I don't know the whole story, but these guys, what we know is they have terrible motives. People with terrible motives are doing what people with good motives are also doing. They're both proclaiming the gospel. And this is what Paul's response is. He says, in, he says but what does it matter? In verse, uh, verse 18, I believe it is. But what does it matter? The important thing, let me pause there. How many of you would like to know what the important thing is in every situation? Say, man, I wonder what the important thing is here. I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I gotta sort of assess this situation. What's really important? What's really essential? What's, oh man. This is Paul's statement about importance. He says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I remember when the first time I ever read this, it sort of hit me strange because I thought, really? Really? Paul in prison, knowing people out there are preaching the gospel, trying to make a name for themselves, trying to be a big shot, coming at it with selfish motivations. Really? He's cool with that? But he says, from, from, whether it's from false motives or true, the important thing is that this message about Jesus is proclaimed, that people come to understand that they can have that access to God through Jesus Christ that they didn't even know that they could have, that God is interested in reconciling them to himself. That's the important thing. Now, some of you know, some of you still scratching your head over that. Really? It shouldn't he be just clamping, telling people about their motivations, and you stop preaching until you get your motivations right? Shouldn't he be saying that? But some of you know different. Because some of you, who are believers in Jesus here in the house, some of you came to faith through a person who maybe later on you came to realize didn't have a very deep faith in Christ themselves. And, and it might have shocked you someday. You know, they told you about Jesus and how you could have a relationship with him, and you just latched on to that and was like, wow, that's amazing. I'm glad you told me. So great. And, and I, you know, and as you began to grow in your relationship with God, it was a little while down the road that you realized that that person who'd initially told you, maybe, maybe parts of that gospel message just never sunk in for them. That they weren't really growing themselves, or maybe even worse, maybe even worse, that the person who told you about Jesus in the first place later on came to nah, turn their back on God. But yet, a real seed of faith grew up in your heart. This is amazing when you really think, stop and consider it. It's amazing that even somebody who isn't, maybe they're just saying words that they've heard. They're regurgitating something someone else told them. It's never really, really uh, become real in their life. And yet they told you the truth about Jesus and you responded and real life came to you. God is bigger than all these things that we can, we, we think these things are going to be the, the be all and end all, they're going to be the obstacles, but Paul wanted them to know, you know what? These people that you're so concerned about with the terrible motives, guess what? The truth of the gospel is bigger than them. It's bigger than, it's bigger than that roadblock. So just like opposition, whether that's from a government or human sources or spiritual sources, can't stop God. Even sin can't stop God. And for that, you should be truly happy. 
And that's really, I think for all of us, we should be really, because we should be really excited about that. Because lots of us, we realize that we maybe aren't at the place with God that we should be. Okay? We realize that, and yet, the amazing thing is God still uses people just like you and me. We say, well, man, there's that area of my life that I really sort of barricaded the door and didn't let God into, and God is still wanting in there, by the way. But yet, that hasn't stopped God from, want, from leading us sometimes into the basics of communicating the truth about his word. Mind-boggling. You think that God would just sort of raise up a force of people who are absolutely pure and faultless and never do anything wrong, and then he would use those people. But yet, throughout history, we see that God's used people with all sorts of mixed motives. So you, if you think, man, I don't know if my motives are all right for doing this thing that God commands, I would say just start doing what God commands. Let him work out that motivation stuff as you go. Let him start to to touch those areas of your heart as you go and, and allow the Lord to work in your life. Again, your motives need to come under submission to the Lord. But know that he is bigger than your brokenness. If you're waiting to have everything together before you start obeying God, before you start uh, sharing God with other people, you will never do it. Start as, say, man, I'm broken, I'm a mess, I'm a train wreck. And I'm a train wreck that's going to serve God and he can put the pieces together as he sees fit. Let's read a little bit further. One more obstacle. Paul says, he said, the most important thing is Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice, which is another way of saying he's happy. And yes, I'll continue to rejoice. I'll continue to be happy for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, first let me talk about being ashamed. So often the opposite for us of being ashamed is being mm, either accepted or honored or, or received well. Paul sees it very differently. He says, on one end of the spectrum is me being ashamed, and on the other end of the spectrum is not me being elevated, but Christ being exalted. So here's the two outcomes that can happen. Either I'll be ashamed or Christ will be exalted. To think like that, you have to have a pretty high estimation or a high esteem of the one that you're hoping to see exalted. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe you've been in a situation where it's really important to a family member and you don't want to be a big embarrassment to them because you hope that you won't detract from their big day or something like that. So maybe you've experienced that on some level. But I know that in my own sinful heart, there's times where I'm just like, man, I'm just really thinking about me, whether I look good or bad or whether I'm accepted or not. I'm not always that other's focus. Well, Paul, in his relationship with Christ, had got to this point where he said, you know what? I hope that I won't be ashamed, but I hope that the other thing happens, that Christ will look really good. Not really focused on, am I looking good, but... Will Christ look really good? He goes on to say this. Um, I'll back up a bit. And now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let me read it again. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you want to know Paul's purpose in life, this is a pretty good snapshot of it. He's saying to live... It's all about serving Jesus. And if I die, um, well, I hope that my death serves Jesus, but then I'll go to be with Jesus. So it's going to be Jesus, any way it works out, it's going to be about Jesus. That's what, it's very simple. To live as Christ and to die, well, that's even better. I get to be with him. It's gain. If I go on living in the body, verse 22, this will mean fruitful labor for me. 
Fruitful labor. We'll find out what that is in a second. Yet what shall I choose? What shall I choose? He's saying, I'm torn. Living, being with people I love, serving them, uh, partnering with them, uh, getting to enjoy human relationship, hugs and kisses and and laughter and good food and um, adventures and... Wow, that's good. Or death. I can't choose. They're both so good. I'm torn. How can I even make this choice? Both of these are so sweet. You know, how the Christian faces death is just a really amazing thing. I mean, we, we, we look at it, I mean, if you think about it, so many purposes in life, death just brings an end to them, right? You say, well, I wanted to establish my business better and to grow it and to, to get to this level, and then if I die, I won't be able to do that. Or I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to go somewhere with my musical career and I thought, you know, this was the next step, but if I die, I can't do that. Or I was hoping for this for our family. I had all these visions and dreams for our family. And then, but if I die, but Paul's purpose was about, all about Jesus. To live as Christ, to die as gain. So he's in this very different rarefied air here where he says, life is all about serving Jesus and hopefully my death can serve Jesus and then I'll be with Jesus. I, I cannot lose what I'm aiming for. My purpose cannot be taken away from me. See, that's the problem with a lot of purposes we have in life is that they can be snatched away. And if we put all our weight, all our happiness in that basket, suddenly we don't have happiness. Paul says, man, I'm in prison. I'm praying with joy. I'm happy because of what God's doing, because God's work is unstoppable. And not even death can stop it. This is what he says. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. Has that grown in your life as you follow Jesus? Has it grown a little bit? Or have you begun to wrestle with it a little bit more and say, like I've, you know, I think every time you do a sort of death-related activity, it gets more real, right? So for example, when you're a kid, the first time you went to a funeral, that was like a big deal. You're like, people die? I didn't even know that was a deal. Like, seriously? And you sort of vaguely think that's, maybe going to happen to me someday. And then you get a little bit older. Uh, you know, I talked about one of the stages, people writing wills, right? Some people don't ever write a will because they think that that'll keep them alive longer. But uh, sorry to say, I don't think there's any correlation. <laughs> you either write it or not. Th- these are these moments where you're like, oh, I remember getting life insurance and I was, you know, we were meeting with a life insurance person and, and we're chatting about stuff and I, I said, oh yeah, well, you know, uh, you know I, I had a figure in my mind and sort of suggested to the life insurance agent and it was that much and then my wife nudged me and said, shouldn't you get a little bit more? And I, <laughs> I was little, it started to, you know, worry, you know, she'd push me in front of a bus or something. Anyhow, I was like, this is, this is sort of getting a little bit more real. And then as we get older, we see more and more of our friends and family members, and we go to a few more funerals, and then it gets more and more real as we go. Paul's in prison. The Romans kill prisoners. Death is a very imminent, potentially imminent reality for him. He's trying to sort through it. What's going to be my future? He actually seems quite confident he's going to live. He says it this way, I'm torn between the two. I desire to, be depart, to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. Is that a reality in your heart? It's better by far to be with Christ. But it is more necessary for you, 
So he's getting all practical. It's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy. That's happiness. And joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. Saying, I can't decide. Man, seriously, going to heaven would just be so awesome. And yet, staying here would be great. And I'm pretty sure God's still got something for me to do here. And I think it's about the progress of your faith and the expansion of your joy. And Paul knows that that deep, deep joy, that happiness that comes from such a deep place is only going to well up within their hearts out of faith in God. And so the man who's in prison, the man who's shackled, tells the people who are free, I think God's got a little bit more journey for me to go because you're supposed to grow in the maturity of the faith that you started out in. And I'm not freaking out about it, like if I'm not there, it won't happen because I'm trusting in God. He's the author and perfecter. He started you on the road of faith. He'll take you there. But I think he's going to ask me to play a role in that. And so I think I'm actually not going to do what seems so awesome to go and be with God. I think I'm going to stay for your growth in your faith so that your joy will just overflow. He says, so that I will remain and I'll continue with you for your progress and your joy in the faith so that being with you again Being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. The third thing, we've said opposition can't stop God, so be happy. We've said that, uh, what was the second one? Who remembers it? I can't even make that out. Guys, articulate. (laughs) Sin can't stop God, God, thank you. And uh, then death, death can't stop God either. Death can't stop God either. He is good. You know, the other day I was in uh, uh, Extreme Pita in Regina, and I happened to be just walking past this guy. I didn't, I didn't recognize him, but he's a friend from way back. And I stopped, he stopped me, Steve, and we started chatting, and we started talking about sports because the playoffs are on in the NHL and the NBA right now. And so anybody watching either of those? Anyone watching hockey playoffs or, yeah, five people? It's good. Good, you're so godly, you're not even sucked in by that. Teach me your ways. Okay, so anyhow, we got chatting, and he was talking about his favorite, he was talking about hockey a little bit and his favorite team. And then I got, he asked me about, I was saying, well, I'm watching, you know, this and that. And I got started talking about one of my favorite athletes. And um, I got really expounding again and again about how, oh, this athlete was, had such character and he, dedication and, and he was so gifted, yet he made such good choices. And he, he, was, he, was, you know, he did this and he did that. And, and you know, I just followed his career. And, and uh, I was just going on and on and on. In fact, it was funny. Is my wife came and sort of stood at my side, but I didn't even know she was there because it was so intent. On, so I'm not introducing them saying, hey, Marnie, this is Joe or whatever. You know, I'm not doing that. I'm just like, and then this, this athlete was so great in this season. And do you remember when he got the MVP? And do you remember that? Oh, he's amazing. I'm just going on and on and on about this athlete. Then finally like, oh, oh yeah, here, this is my wife. Yeah. Anyhow, I sort of pulled out of this and I was like, whoa, was that me? Is that me just gushing and boasting about this amazing athlete now? I'm such a big fan of theirs and how I feel just almost proud by association with this incredible person who doesn't know who I am. Anyhow, as I was preparing this message and I got to this line, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. And it hit me. When's the last time I just really couldn't stop talking about Jesus? When's the last time when when someone said, so uh, you're a Christian? You know, when people say that, so you're a Christian, eh? And then I, I feel like at that point that all the baggage of everything Christians have ever done throughout history is laid on my shoulders. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Not even sure what I'm sorry about, just sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Canadian, we apologize for everything, right? I thought, wow, this guy asked me about a sports figure, you know, and I went over the top talking about that. I couldn't even stop talking. I was so excited. And yet, Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord. So you're a Christian. Yeah, man. I made a decision to follow him when I was six. And you know what? I almost, I can't even remember any of the decisions I made when I was six. And none of them mattered today. I haven't followed through on any of those things. But you know, this one decision I made when I was six is still with me today. Can you believe that? And you know, all through these years, that decision has, has produced a growing relationship with God. I mean, that's what we get through Jesus, a growing relationship with God. It's amazing. I want to tell you, this has implications for all my life. Uh, I, I've, I've noticed confident, re, confidence replacing fear in areas of my life. That, that wouldn't be normal because normally I'm sort of a scared guy. And, and, and then I, I've noticed that I, I, when I was lonely, I realized I wasn't alone because God was with me, and now, and He'd always be with me. So I had this relationship replacing loneliness in my life, and I've discovered purpose for living that can't ever be taken away from me. And and I've got through my relationship with God, I've got help for my marriage and and my parenting and my work habits. And he, God is God is so huge and majestic and. Uh, big, and yet he's close and intimate and caring and compassionate. And uh, wow, am I still talking about Jesus? Yeah, let me keep talking about Jesus. What if next time someone says, so you're a Christian, eh? What if the superstar treatment for Jesus suddenly just bubbles out of you? Because you realize that when all these other things are stripped away, that at the base of it all, that the source of happiness, the source of true joy is relationship with him. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let me pray for you. Let's stand together. Jesus, we, we thank you that we can have great confidence in you. Lord, we thank you that you have, uh, you have planted the seeds of faith in millions upon millions of people throughout generations. And they found and discovered the same thing, that you are life. That you are life. Lord Jesus, I, 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 just, I thank you so much that you are our life. Not just part of our life, you are our life. You are our joy. You are our treasure. You are the one we delight in. And Lord, we have only scratched the surface of who you are. And Lord, I, I pray for a, the power of a brand new affection in our hearts. Lord, there's other, there's other things that our imaginations run to and that we, we get excited about. There's other things that sort of uh, we wet our appetite of our passions on. And yet none of that compares to you. None of it compares to you. you. You are above all those things. And if all those things were swept away and we still had you, we'd have everything. So Lord, I, I thank you that you're the author and perfecter. I thank you that you start us on a road of faith. You planted that seed of the gospel, that, that reality that we could, be, uh, we could be in relationship with you. We could be in right standing with you. We wouldn't have to stand before you in the shame of our sin, but we could stand before you in the righteousness of God. Thank you that 
You made that possible through your work on the cross. Lord, I, I thank you that our faith is a treasure that can never perish or be stolen or fade. That it's of greater worth than gold. Lord, I pray you just reorient our, our minds. I thank you for the encouragement from prison cells. I thank you for the encouragement from uh, refugee camps that comes to us that tells us if if you have Jesus, you have the thing of utmost value. So thank you, Lord, that our faith is not fragile, that our faith is not something that is of little value. Thank you that it's solid and dependable, something that endures in tough times, something that carries us in suffering, something that causes a deep joy to well up within us as we reflect on what you've given us. So Lord, let our, let our mouths speak of your greatness and let us live lives worthy of you. Thank you for Paul how he lived his life for you. Thank you for Peter, the rest of the disciples, how they lived their lives for you, how they made a big deal about you in their lives and in their death. And Lord, let us do the same. We ask that in your name. Amen. Hey, this morning, if you came here and you just really say, man, I'd really love it if someone, I could chat with somebody or I could talk with someone or pray with someone, our prayer team is gonna be right here to, to be ready to do that with you. I'll be here as well to do that. I know Dave Schwinghammer's here. Maybe there'll be some other pastors who'll join us. We'll just be here to have some time to do that. We're gonna uh, officially dismiss you at this point, but the worship team's gonna lead us for a little while. And let's make this place a meeting with God place. And if you need to chat with other people, then just use the entryway for that. That's a great place to just really hang out and chat with other people. But may you be truly joyful in what God has done for you. And may the reality of that sink very deep into your soul. God bless you. Have a great week.